there are so many birds, so many different birds. I've got, I think I'm like the crazy bird bath lady because I've got loads of bird baths now. Aussies are relocating from capital cities to regional Australia in record numbers. We could give you all the stats about better house prices, all the jobs on offer and higher levels of happiness, but what's better than hearing from someone who's made the move themselves? Welcome to You Moved Where, the podcast where we interview everyday Aussies who've moved from the city to the country. I'm your host, Beck Vignall, a girl from regional Australia who moved to the city, and then, you guessed it, back to regional Australia. This is You Moved Where. <laughs> when you order a schooner at a pub out in Wootwoo, you don't expect to be served by a film and TV star. Unless you live in Lake Clifton, WA. Prolific artists Steve LeMacquand and Pippa Grandison have graced our screens in some of the very best and most iconic shows and films, like Muriel's Wedding, Underbelly, Red Dog, Water Rats, the list goes on. Pippa, Steve and their teenager Charlie decided to trade in their Sydney lives for something completely out of the box a rural property in WA. They discussed the idea together and were committed to ensuring everyone was 100% on board to ensure that Charlie was happy to relocate in high school. With a newly found freedom on their rural slice of paradise, the family wasted no time in stepping up their gardening game and they spend their days planting, foraging and cultivating corners of their expansive backyard. Despite landing lead roles in major up-and-coming series, they remain humble and grounded. So much so that Steve has taken on a gig as the bar manager at the local pub, pouring beers to patrons who are loving the novelty of being served a frothy by a film star. The fresh air, abundance of wildlife and slower pace of life has totally rejuvenated the family. And in Pippa's own words, the move has made her happy as a pig in shit. Pippa, Steve and Charlie, you moved where? We moved from Sydney to Lake Clifton, Western Australia. Pippa and Steve, you both grew up in Perth before moving to Sydney. Uh, Did you always want to come back to Western Australia? How did that come about? Well, I I didn't necessarily grow up here. I was born here, born in Perth. And uh, my family moved back over east, well, to the east. Uh, my mum was West Australian and my dad Victorian, so they settled for neutral ground, uh, being New South Wales. Um, when I was, like, before I started school, so I would have maybe been two or three. And uh, so I did all my, my formative years in growing up over there. But um, I always used to come back. Mum's family was always over here, her two brothers and her parents. So we would come back once a year, um, at least uh, once every two years, and spend a lot of time here. And when I finished school, um, instead of doing uh, schoolies, as a lot of Sydney folk do, or, you know, your you, you school leavers do, I travelled back to Perth for the America's Cup in 1987. And uh, when I was a young man, I was only t- just turned 18, so I was seeking my fame and fortune, and I didn't uh, go back home for another two years. So I spent a lot of time over here. And so, yeah, I have always wanted to come back, absolutely. And I am much more of a West Australian than my husband is, of course. Um, born and raised in Perth. Last few years of school were here for me in WA and then I moved when I was about 18 or 19 over to Sydney. 
uh, where I've been ever since. Like Steve, always come back, always came back to visit. And I worked a lot actually in WA and I'd love coming home for the shows. But every time I would come home, uh, this might sound a bit twee, but it's it's true. I I never really wanted to go back to New South Wales. I had a life there, obviously, and and my friends and a career and everything. But I I just always wanted to stay. Like there was a part of me that just wanted to stay, if you know what I mean. I'm getting all emotional about it, but and now we're here, so it feels right. Even though we're we're rural now, we're down south, we're not in you know the big smoke of Perth. Just being back here in WA feels just feels right. Feels right. And can you tell me what sparked the move back to the west? <laughs> was that you, Charlie? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Well, it was COVID to a, to a large extent. Um, we had bought a property. We actually um, we were living on the central coast. Um, which is uh, halfway between Sydney and Newcastle on the on the east coast. Um, it's about an hour and a half drive north of Sydney. And we've lived there for 10 years. We bought ourselves a property. We lived with my dad um, in the northwest of Sydney to save some money. We both had some good jobs, got enough deposit, finally bought ourselves a house on the central coast. And we lived there for 10 years, struggled sometimes with the mortgage. Um, as artists, we, we struggled often with, you know, we had to uh, sort of get the mortgage put on hold at one stage. And then when COVID hit, it was sort of a double-edged sword. We lost a lot of work, but at the same time, the property of the house just skyrocketed. Sorry, yeah, the, 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 the price of the property. And there was a big market for it because a lot of people in Sydney particularly realised that they can now live in regional areas. They have to live in a, in a you know, the cramped flat in Bondi or the city. They could go and buy a nice house on the Central Coast beachside suburb. And um, and so, our, as I say, the price of the property absolutely went through the roof. And so we thought, now could be the chance to sell up, make a fair bit of money, and then move back home and um, or find a property, which you'd always wanted to do, and be mortgage-free, which we are. And it was a very appealing um, you know, option, which we obviously took. Well, yeah, so. you know, since COVID, even though COVID was devastating for many people and people were in much worse positions than we were, we've been living hand-to-mouth all of our lives because we're Australian actors and that's just the way it works, it has worked for us. Any time you audition for a job, you go. You used to go in, as you would probably know, into the casting agent and you would do your audition and that's the way it is. So you'd want to be living in the places where the big casting agents were so you had the opportunities to get work. Then COVID came along and was devastating, but then the, the positives of that, I guess, for us, as Steve was saying about being able to, to move financially, were that we can audition for anything anywhere via self-test now. I miss going into the casting agent, that that rush, the adrenaline and the excitement and they actually kind of can direct you in a different way if you're moving down the wrong path, you know. But but having said that, now we're here, you know, I rang when we were thinking about it, I rang my agent and I said, What do you what do you think? And she said, Well, why not? Why why wouldn't you do it? My agent calls it bi coastal. You're now bi coastal actors. <laughs> but you know, we always wanted to get some land. We, it was always a little dream that we'd have some land, and I really wanted a, a miniature cow or something like that. I don't know if that's going to happen. It'll happen. <laughs> and we just, you know, never thought in our fifties that we would be able to have that opportunity to to have the land to move rurally to. To, to not be in the big smoke anymore, but the, the trade-off is that it's so beautiful and there's wildlife everywhere and the neighbours are friendly and you drive home and you know why you've driven that far because you pull into the driveway and it takes you a while to get to your house on the driveway and you go, yeah, 
this is this is a dream that we managed to realize so and then Charlie we weren't sure if Charlie was gonna be keen on the idea and we were were we out walking can you say what happened well for a little while I wasn't too keen on it because it's staying in one area for 10 years of your life and growing up there from basically a toddler it's kind of you have a connection to it that you don't want to have to get rid of you don't want to leave that place and then we were going on a walk and I said if you want to move we should do it now and we did Wow. And Charlie, it's such a huge adjustment, you know, especially in high school. But what is it like as a high school kid sort of going into a new community and having to adjust into into that environment as a high school student? It can really differ depending on the kind of person that you are. I feel like I'm lucky enough to be able to make friends easily. I feel like just sort of being open about yourself is the way that you'll find people that you're meant to be friends with. But it's always hard. It's always hard not knowing people. And there's always going to be that sense of fear that people always talk about. It's definitely real. But it's like it's not that hard to find friends if you're just sort of open about who you are. It can be easier to fit in if you lie about who you are, but it's always easier to make genuine relationships and it will, in the long run, you'll have a better time fitting in and like being at the school in general. I feel like that's such valuable advice because I know that when parents are considering on moving, one of the things that they obviously want to make sure is that they're children are going to feel comfortable and it's a new environment that they're going into. So for you, Pippa and Steve, how did you kind of, um, you know, embrace that for yourselves? Was there anything that you did or did you just lean into the fear with Charlie and just sort of take it as it comes? We did a lot of research into the schools. Obviously, you look at the areas where you might be able to afford where you might want to live but for us it was even with the school if there wasn't a school there that we thought Charlie might be I mean as, as Charlie so eloquently just said it depends on who you are you don't really know exactly who you're going to meet but we had a bit of fun actually looking at schools online didn't we there was some <laughs> what was that the reviews there are some crazy reviews of schools out there <laughs> You'll always find out. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we kind of went, oh, oh, that's cool. Those people have a good sense of humour. Maybe that's the right school. And also schools that that are inclusive, you know, too. We we logged on to one and there was a big rainbow flag right behind a bunch of kids and we're like, yeah, that's an inclusive school. So that's important too. But um, we never would have done this move without Charlie being okay with it. I mean, I know people always get young people get apprehensive about things and sometimes you need to try and encourage them but we're not into forcing Charlie to do anything where we can help it but um but I think we, also, we did lean into it together yeah absolutely and I think I always knew I think we always knew that Charlie would be okay because he's a really resilient kid he's yeah. smart he's charismatic he's as you just said he's very open and and quite forthright as well and um and so does attract a, a lot of friends quite easily and they can sort out the good friends from the not so good friends. So I always knew that that was probably going to work out. Um, having said that, the first week that we arrived from the east, before we we would sold up all we had were our possessions on a on a train that got stopped by the floods on the way over to Perth, and we all just sort of looked at each other and said, "What the hell 
have we just done? Because <laughs> we're, <in a> <laughs> we're in quarantine um, and the little space where we couldn't get outside, obviously, and there wasn't a garden and we'd come from we – were, we were in, in the suburbs, but we'd still had a, a garden and – Beautiful house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like, I think we all loved the idea of having space. Yep, I get that. And I also think, Charlie, your advice is valuable as well for adults. A lot of people, when they're going into new environments, one of the things that they talk about in terms of the adjustment is the finding friendships and networks of people that they can connect with. So that openness that you talk to is a theme that comes up on this show when people are talking about, you know, even as adults, how they can form new relationships and new communities. What are some of the other ways that you've created networks in the the new environment that you're in now? Well, one of the really good things I would say, well, about a more modern world, living in a more modern world is having technology. And, you know, I know a lot of people can be a bit sceptical about kids always being on their phones or whatever, but it really is such a good way to be able to keep in touch with people, especially just considering a lot of kids just struggle so much with making friends. And sometimes just being able to ring someone up or text a friend late at night is something that's really important. And being here and having friends on the other side of the country that I can talk to whenever I want is also really important to me. And that is just a really helpful way, I think, of keeping those kinds of connections going. That's actually a brilliant thought because it's unrealistic to think that you would move to a new place and not want to retain those relationships and connections that are a big part of your life to that point. You're now in an area where you've got some acreage. What are some of the things that you love about being in your rural environment now? There are so many. (laughs) My favourite, I think... Well, to toss up between just being able to do anything you want with the garden and so much gardening and I can't get enough gardening and I'll just probably drop dead gardening. But for me, the wildlife. So we've got uh, the people who sold us the place had two little dogs and they had fencing around what we call kind of the homestead area, which is quite big still, but that's fencing, yeah, about an acre with the house and then, you know, we can grow our veggies and, and and things that we don't want stray sheep from the neighbour to get to or roos and, you know, we have the fences have to be a certain height so the roos don't jump. But it's fencing you can see through and there are so many birds, so many different birds. I've got, I think I'm like the crazy bird bath lady because I've got loads of bird baths now. Still trying to place them strategically. They're not all on top of each other but they're here all the time and the roos, we've got there's this whole mob and they share themselves around. There's a In this area where we are, there's, I guess there's a 20 or so properties that are about eight to ten acres each or whatever and, and a lot of people like us don't have fantastic fencing. <laughs> so the roos are just like, you know, they share themselves around but then you see them just, you know, a metre outside the front door having a drink out of a bird bath and there's a bubba there as well and... For me, it's just extraordinary. We're keeping a lot of the property bush so that they've got it. We might uh, carve some little um, bush walk paths in there if you want or whatever because there's wildflowers too and they're all out at the moment. But mostly those parts up the back are left for the wildlife and it's it's just glorious to think that they've got a space and it's ours and we can give it to them. Then there's the possum that eats my mother's memorial geranium garden that I planted for her. Mum died nearly a year ago now and I thought I'll plant this geranium garden for her and this bugger of a possum 
every time it's about to bloom. They're not supposed to eat geraniums. <laughs> and it eats, and I've seen it out there, you know. And we've got a cat that we sort of left out open at night, so just in the homestead area, she can't get out of there, but just to try to scare the possum off. And one day we saw the cat following the possum across the backyard. Yeah, they're hanging out. <laughs> Where are we off to now? I don't get out the flowers. I think she's gone, oh, look, these are about to bloom over here. Come and eat these. She'll go crazy. <laughs> No, they're therefore an unlikely alliance, which is no good to anyone. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. But, yeah, for me, it's, for me it's the wildlife, I think. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I've got, I just love that. I love being active, do you know what I mean? I, um, I'm 55, no spring chicken. Um, I've played a lot of sports, so I've always used to being active, but I sort of don't get the chance to, to play the sports that I used to. I don't think my body would be capable of it, but having the gardening and just moving stuff around, I'm always moving logs and stones and, and, I, and then finding stuff as well because there's, there's been um, a lot of tenants and people who've owned this place for a long time and we found all these beautiful stepping stones. I was just digging through some dirt one day and found a stepping stone and like a proper wall one. This is beautiful. And then I unearthed it and I wound up finding like 70 or 80 and so and then all the bricks that and we there was another and mound that had these beautiful stones that we've made a stone garden out of and just that kind of yeah. discovery i know what yeah, you mean. yeah 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 that, that people bought and sort of left up in the back paddock 20 years ago and it gets covered with soil and grass and every time you find it, it's like, oh my god i don't know just what to do with that and then lugging it around and, and i'm just finding that i'm i'm using my body a lot more you use all of your body when you're being active on, on a property you know in the garden or you know, carrying stuff around and chopping stuff and chainsawing stuff and <laughs> all that manly You're stuff. You're such you know, a man. And, um, <laughs> but it, but it, just, it just uses your whole body and I just feel that I'm, I'm keeping myself active, which at this age, if you're not on property or something else, it could be very easy just to sit around and drink a lot of beer. Yeah, and growing vegetables is growing vegetables is good too. Poor Charlie, we are in the garden a lot and it's not your bag, is it? It just... It it, ma- it makes for a beautiful garden, though. We've done so much in the time that we've moved here. Like, there is so much that's been done. It's almost unrecognisable how beautiful it is now. So I think it's it's really important. I can appreciate the work that you guys do. Well, thank you very well, much. Even if I haven't done any of it myself. <laughs> but appreciating it is part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's probably something really special about knowing that when I was when I was younger, when I was a when I was little, if you had told me that we were going to be living here, I would have been so happy because I always loved nature and I loved bigger spaces. I loved fields and I loved the idea of living on a property. So there's something really comforting about knowing that this is the kind of place I've always wanted to be. I think that that's what I really love about it. I relate to everything that you've all said because it's a familiar story for us. And I have to say the space and the work that comes with it is actually something I didn't consider because we had lived in apartments previously, like you're saying, and I just didn't appreciate just the work and the incidental exercise that you get off that, which is an added benefit that I sort of hadn't considered that you've Mm. described perfectly. Now, you mentioned before that you're Australian artists, and I have to say unashamedly that uh, I am a huge fan of both of your work, Pippa and Steve. In honour of Muriel's wedding, my husband is also a huge fan. We have named our chooks after characters in Muriel's wedding, like (laughs) Peter Van Arkel. We've got Mr Heslop and Betty. (laughs) 
we made a conscious decision not to call one Nicole out of respect to you. Oh, thank um, you very much. And also, you don't know how she's going to behave. No. You know? <laughs> this is, but that's why we love Nicole so much, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> but can you both just give me a bit of a snapshot of your career until now? And then we'll also talk about your career within the regions. But to start with, I'd love to hear from you what your career has involved. I started out. I was kind of, I was doing telly and film and theatre at the same time. And when I when I hit New South Wales, I got um, a, a lucky break in terms of working for the Sydney Theatre Company. Uh, I was very very green, and I'd been doing a couple of other things too, like TV and films. But then I, you know, made my way into this audition and uh, landed that, and kind of just took off and kept working and worked and worked a lot. But then there were periods where I didn't work, and I did. Other jobs, as most actors will do, I sold wine on the telephone, which was a very popular side job for those of us. And in all of this comes in, Muriel's wedding came along and still, you know, six months later there's no job, so I'm back to doing whatever other job that I can do in the meantime, you know, and that's been the way it's gone, you know. There's been periods where there's been loads of work and all different things where I've earned good amounts of money and then other jobs where I've done it for the love, you know, and but I've been very, very lucky that it's been film, telly and theatre and music theatre for me and singing in bands all the way along. So it's been, there's been a good variety for me. And as you get older when things slow down, sometimes it can be a bit scary because it feels like there's longer between jobs and I guess that's what kind of was happening toward the end and you start thinking, okay, well, what other creative strings are there to my bow? And I've done it before, but you kind of get a bit tired and you go, oh, I don't know if I've got that hope that there is something just around the corner. You know, I guess the corners, the blocks get longer or something like that. But um, I have to say I've been very, very lucky and had a, so far it's not over, it's kind of getting a new lease here. It's been tremendous. I hope that answers your question (laughs) without... You know. It's fantastic because it's nice to paint a picture of what the artist does, you know, because often people just see you on screen but don't necessarily know the story of the path that you've taken. And so that perfectly gives a great understanding of all the different things that you've been involved in. And also the idea as well, I think people think that you might star in a film like Muriel's Wedding and then live in a, a mansion on Sydney Harbour. I do. Ali, what do they say to you at school? Well, usually it's why are you going to this school? <laughs> you must be rich, like that. You must have a mansion, all of those kinds of things, which is just you have to laugh at them, honestly. But, you know, it, it, it just a lot of people just don't understand how it works. A lot of people really don't understand how much a lot of artists actually struggle with finances. And it's it's actually really interesting to see that there are so many people who don't have that same worldview and it's, a good thing to be able to educate other people about, I reckon. And Charlie, has that um, influenced, has it influenced your aspiration or are you interested in following in your parents' footsteps? I've always said that seeing the industry has sort of given me more insight into how it actually works. I hear a lot of people saying that they want to be in the industry just because they think that fame is something that's amazing to have. But I feel like I get a perspective on the hardships that are involved as well. It's something that I, obviously my life has been influenced by it and it's an industry that I really admire. And it's not necessarily something that I wouldn't want to be involved in among other things, but I also feel like I'm lucky to be able to make an informed decision on what I want to do. 
that is such a good way of looking at it. And especially when you've got two parents that are artists as well. And Steve, what about your experience in the industry? What's it been like for you? Well, I now am the manager of a pub. I'm the duty manager of a country pub. I'm not far from where we live. It's about a 20-minute drive. Um, I'm on a salary for the first time in my entire life. And it's the most bizarre feeling every week. There's exactly the same amount of money goes in <laughs> exactly the same day as went in last week on the same day. And it's, just, it's remarkable. I've, I've never experienced it before. But I'm really enjoying that, uh, I, having been in the industry for 30 years. Um, one of the hardest things is, and just sort of touching on what we spoke about just a moment ago, is that a lot of people obviously recognise me. I've done 20-odd movies and some have been quite successful and they say, aren't you the guy from this and that and this? Why are you working in a pub? Surely you could be retired and a millionaire with all that money you earn. They, they assume because they've seen you on screen in a film that you must have got paid at least a million dollars per movie. Um, you know, that's just the way it works because all they read are the, the American tabloids and whatnot. And so I, often three or four times a day I have to explain, yeah, yeah, sure, I've loved the acting and that I haven't given up on it, um, Pip and I. Just just did a, a, a TV show together, a TV show together playing husband and wife. Yeah, we just got back from Derby. Yeah, yeah, we can't really tell you too much about it at the moment, but um, so we're still doing it. It's also great to have that that salary income as well. And um, and so I've always done stuff in between jobs. It's, it's almost easy to talk about the stuff I've done in between than the actual acting jobs that I've had. I've driven cabs. I've, I've look, I've had thirty or forty different jobs. I've also sold wine. I've, I've done all sorts of um, unspeakable things for my money. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> It's a good opportunity to remind the audience that's listening that it's really important to support Australian shows and films because contrary to popular belief, not everyone is walking around with bags of money and how good is holiday pay when you're working a job? You know, I don't think they even realise that we don't, you know, that things like holiday pay and super are um are great to, to get yeah. when you can get them in a in a tradition more a traditional job. But like, you know, the resourcefulness that you have to have to keep your head above water within an industry where everyone gets to enjoy the fruits of your labours, actually it's a lot a lot harder than um, what they think. But the thing that can help is always supporting um, Australian film and TV by going into the cinema or um, making sure you support it online um, and streaming and those sorts of things. I now want to talk about the area that you're living in, West Australia, where you are now. Let's talk about the water of West Australia in the regions. Can you describe to me just how wonderful, and this, I feel like I'm putting words into your mouth. I absolutely am. <laughs> You're not biased at all. <laughs> projecting. But can you just describe, obviously, you're close to the ocean and just the bodies of water. You've got Lake Clifton, the thrombolites. Can you explain that to me and to the audience? Look, I mean, I've always been um, quite biased about the West Australian coastline coming from here and growing. I was a real you know, beach goer. I loved the beach. I spent hours and hours at the beach on my own, reading books, just lying there, swimming. That's all I did, really, to be honest. Didn't have many friends. Um, but it's the colour of it and the freshness. And it's it's nice being back uh, to the, the long stretches too, because you know, particularly in New South Wales and on the East Coast, there's a gorgeous, all the cliffs and hills and things like that here. It's long and flat. But yes, then we have we have been to see the thrombolites a couple of times, um, and that lake is extraordinary. Large, large bodies of water, and then the estuary on the other side, and they're so well protected at this stage down here. Hopefully, they will remain that way. National Park, 
And I think that's where a lot of the, you know, that amazing uh, bird life comes from too. We have those that are just hanging here, but they also are coming off the water. And just the air, the air is fresh. And for me, it's it's extraordinary. It's I, I don't think I could live inland. I've, I need that, I need to feel that breeze. And then sometimes I just want to drive to the beach because we're actually, as a crow flies, we're really close. We could walk. But where we sit, we have to either go north or south and then across the national park to the coast. So it probably takes us 15 minutes to, to, to drive. But that pesky Lake Clifton's right in the way. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just to, to, to go and sit and watch the sunset over the ocean again. It's kind of warms my heart, really, is, is the best way I can describe it. I feel quite lucky. What about you? Oh, I think you know that I, I can't really add to that. Um, but we are surrounded by, by your three quite amazing bodies of water um, with the estuary, Lake Clifton and the ocean, which is still yet to be explored to its full potential, I suspect. But um, we've only been here a bit over a year and a lot of that has just been yeah, spent on head down, bum up, doing, doing the garden. I found my nice spots to have swims, but I, yeah. it seems to be a solo activity for me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But there's lots of uh, mud caps to be caught, lots of whiting to be caught and eaten as well, which we haven't sort of explored. I'd love to get a boat, either a sailing boat or a little, a little tinny, and just start to explore it a bit more. But um, There's a lot of life on the water here. People have, you know, there's a lot of, as you say, the cramming and fishing, and there's a lot of water activities that go on down here. I'm growing up um, in Perth, I used to go out with a boy who had a, um, a speedboat and we'd go water skiing every weekend. So I was always on the river just so used to, to having that kind of recreational life. And it's the same down here. Yeah, so yeah. pretty pretty lucky. It's, it's paradise. And you've talked about space, nature, water, and those sorts of things that are pretty good ingredients for creative inspiration when you're in an environment where you've got direct contact with those things. As artists, what has the experience been like for you since arriving to the regions? For me, it's... Um, given it a whole new lease if if that's the right way to say it, it's but interestingly my mother as I mentioned before died recently and that's made a big difference as well to who I am as a person and how I approach my career and my creative pursuits um sometimes it holds me up and other times I'm even freer than I ever imagined I could have been if that makes sense but um Coming home and living here in this beautiful place where the pressure is off us to a certain extent to be paying the mortgage every week and when's the next meal coming from um, having that pressure taken off and being, as you say, in a, in a in a space that is good for thinking and feeling and daydreaming and all of that, I think it's been fabulous and it's made me feel uh, braver in a way. I've, it's I think that that big change, when you make a big change in your life, when it's a little bit scary but you're brave and you're going, this is what I want, I'm going to do this, I think I know it, it, it affects, it opens you up to possibility and if you can keep that kind of channel open, there's no end to what you can do apart from someone saying, no, I'm sorry, we don't want you for that job. But I've I've branched out into areas that I really wanted to branch out into now that I was too scared to do before and I, I can't say that that's 100% because of where we live, but I, I certainly think a, a, a large percentage of it is go outside, you breathe the fresh air, and you think, okay, what am I going to do 
today and what do I want to do with the rest of my life? We've done this, we've made a change, let's let's make it work. And I've always wanted to be a director and since I've come home I've directed, about to direct my third piece. And then also TV jobs have come along and the play with Black Swan and just I things have started happening. So for me personally, it's been it's been wonderful. I kind of thought I was I was petering out, but it seems no. I'm really excited. I'm about to direct a musical for Whopper, and I can't wait because they're gorgeous. The, the the people are gorgeous there. So kind of happier than a pig in shit at the moment, to be honest. Except for the fact that I'm perimenopausal and heading into menopause, so I'm completely <laughs> bonkers and uncomfortable most of the time. But apart from that, I'm really really quite happy. That is fantastic, and uh, there's just so much in that. You're having a hot flush. You can just run out into the garden without your clothes on and scream, (laughs) and no one hears you. So there's another good thing, ladies. I feel like that needs to be our trailer for the episode, (laughs) for the the whole series, actually. (laughs) Fantastic. I was also going to, yeah, Steve, what would you like to elaborate on that? What's it been like for you? I'm just happy where I am. I've never really taken my career that seriously. I've always thought it was a bit of a lark, do you know what I mean? And every time I get a job, they're like, oh, really? They're going to pay me to do that? Fine, that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, that's why I'm just as happy um, running a pub as I am on set of a, of a big TV show. It doesn't really make much difference to me. I'm I'm pretty much find a way to be happy whatever I'm doing, wherever I am. Um, I've certainly never had any desire to be famous um, in any way, shape or form, so... Um, you know, I'm sort of happy to be where I am as a, as a, I think I know you, but it's just not a, you know, hey, I'll lead you a selfie and an autograph kind of thing. You know, having been friends with famous people, um, it's just a, a crap way to, to live your life. Having said that, since we got over here, maybe because there hasn't been any pressure, as Pip just said, um, the work has sort of been coming in fairly. That three weeks after I got here, I went back to Sydney to shoot the lead in the film. Then we did the play for Black Swan. Then we played husband and wife and two TV shows. Since then, we're touring the play for Black Swan again next year. And Pip's doing all this directing, and and so I don't know. Just sort of once the pressure's off, and you don't really care. It doesn't matter as much. That seems to be when it all starts to come flooding in. You know, that's Murphy's Law. Absolutely, and it's great, like you said, with self testing and technology and new ways of working that you can actually still have a very dynamic career from in places that are outside the city. When I moved back to the country, one of the things that I had to adjust to was my impatience when ordering coffee, um, because I (laughs) have a bit of a tendency to uh, tap my foot because my (laughs) flat white wasn't coming out as quickly as it would in. Sydney and I had to learn to accept that there was a good conversation to be had and it really didn't matter if my flat white was ready in 25, 15 minutes um, because the conversation was way better than my need to get it quicker. What are some of the things that you've been educated about since getting into the sticks or things that you've had to adjust to that you didn't expect? This might sound a little bit silly but I actually find that there are a, when I'm talking about primary school to other kids over here because obviously they've had a different experience in primary school. The uh, the years actually work differently. I'm pretty sure they have like prep mm. or something. I'm not really sure. But one of the things I noticed, and I've been interstate a few times, and this is always a big difference, is that you know the the popular game tag that all kids play is called different things all over the country. So I call it tip. 
but nobody here knows what tip is. They say tag. <laughs> and I also know that in Melbourne, I think they call it tiggy and nobody knows what that is. So that's one of the, that's one of the biggest differences that I've noticed, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so good. And what about you, Steve? Have you noticed anything different? Yeah, look, uh, look having worked in the pub, it's a massive difference because um, I've obviously been in quite a few pubs around the country. And um, and it is it is very much we're in a time it's it's Perth time it's Lake Clifton time it's like have a bit of a yarn how are you going how's your day been what you been up to oh I'll have a beer please as opposed to in Sydney two schooners next one and then it's <laughs> you know what I mean? and and and, and so for both sides of, of of the bar you've sort of got to get familiar with that as you say about ordering your coffee it's um you know that even if you're in a rush. Some of the punters are going to want to have a bit of a yarn about the weather and about their sheep and their, you know, their car that broke down last week and just talk about it for quite some period of time before they finally ask for their beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so time is, and then it's country time. People go all the time. You've got city time and you've got country time and they're talking sheets. And that does take a lot of getting used to, but it's great. It makes you slow down. It brings your heart rate down. It makes you stop, stop, and smell the roses, as they say, because there's no other choice. And then that becomes part of your DNA as well. A family member of mine who lives, actually comes from Perth as well, um, but lives in Victoria and has a house in Melbourne and also a farm where she runs and she breeds cattle. And I talk to her quite a bit and I stay with her when I'm in Melbourne and told her we we're moving here and said that I really want to get a, a miniature cow or two, you know, and all the things that I really want to do, but then I've got to go away for work here and there. So what do I do when when we're when we're away? I mean, these animals, it's not just like a dog you can put into a kennel, you know, or stay with your sister. It's just a large animal with hooves and things like that. <laughs> what do you do? Chickens, how do you cope? And she said, neighbours. That was it. She's like, neighbours. I'm like, oh, but they And she said, you wait. You tell them you're going to go away. See, we'll see what happens. And true enough, we just, um, as I said, we went up to Derby to shoot this telly show and we were away for quite some time. And before we left, we said to Keith next door, just bumped into Keith who walks around with his deaf and blind dog with a cup of coffee or a beer, depending on the time of day, and his silk robe covered in flowers. And he comes coming down the street, hey, hey, and you know you've got at least a 10-minute conversation. So if you were timing your walk before the sun went down, then you're stuffed. I said, oh, we're going away um, for a period of time. And he went, all right, then, well, I'll do your bins and your mail and what are you doing about this and that? And I hadn't asked, hadn't said anything. And, and like, for me, that's a, a part of what you, what you started talking about with the impatience, with the slowing down. People care about people. I'd say that for everyone. There are some people who've moved down here because they don't want to talk to anyone ever. WA, wait a while. Isn't that what it stands for? <laughs> I noticed it when I was growing up here, but now that I'm back, I don't drink coffee, so I, you know, whatever. Plus I'm also a gas bagger as well. I think I'm probably that person that most people in Sydney wanted to avoid because I took too long. <laughs> oh, she is quick on. Oh, no. Oh, God, and then I'll forget what I'm saying halfway through. But it is, it's a it's a nice way to live because that human connection is so important. At the end of the day, we're all just trying to get through life and hopefully enjoy it as much as we can and 
being kind to each other and looking after each other makes things much, much easier and it seems to come quite naturally in the country. One of the things that we've um, that we always do is we try and bust a myth. In this episode, Steve, Pippa and Charlie, we would like you to bust the myth that you can't find a good Indian, Italian, Japanese restaurant in the sticks. Can we get good food that has a variety of cuisines outside of city centres? Well, you don't mind me saying there is the Rec Hotel of Aruda. <laughs> oh, my God. There's a very good menu and the service with a smile is outstanding seven days a week. And, look, the chef there is really good, but, uh, yeah. And actually, no, I think you, it seems to be, for me anyway, if you're talking about in the sticks down here where we are, there's some great pubs. They're, like Slope says, his pub, but that's where if, there's a couple of pubs where, you know, you, it's, it's just – pub fair there's nothing there's nothing exciting but there, there are some pubs and the, there is a variety and the produce is fresh and local and that makes a big difference you know if you're a meat eater like I am um the, the produce down here and also the fresh veggies and all that kind of thing so yeah all, but we we've got the lazy crab just up the road and we go there a little bit too oh and, and of course not forgetting that we're only a half hour drive 25 minute drive from Mandra. And the foreshore yeah. of Mandurah. Yeah, so you can, but that's not is down well, here, is it? No, that's not sticks, but it's not far from our sticks. So <laughs> what, what do you well, like you said, the, the foreshore and the forum are a bit further away, but I would say if you were looking to go and find more diverse food, I would. it's a good place to go out to eat. I think a lot of the good food is around that area. I reckon that would probably be the furthest you would go if you wanted to find more diverse food. There's Bunbury. Bunbury's got yep. some great stuff. That's really good. Food. Yeah, Bunbury's got great stuff. And added to that, you can also create delicious food at home as well because you can grow your own veggies, like you discussed. There's nothing better than like you're making a salad or something and you go, okay, I need chili, I need a lime, I need some rocket, I need an onion. I get so excited, and even capsicum, whatever. I'm like, oh my God, I just go out to the garden with my basket. I, I built from scratch, Pip, a uh, brick um, herb bed just outside the back doors. He's such uh, a man. That's about uh, <laughs> five, ten foot long. And he found those bricks. I found, I found those bricks out in the, the back door. I'd like to ask, Charlie, you gave some great advice around a couple of different things, like how we can make friends when we move to a new place outside the city and also how we can retain our friendships and relationships once we've moved. Do you have any other tips for people, particularly younger people that might be moving, that you'd like to share today? Well, that's actually really tough, actually, because I feel um, I'm pretty solitary and I I sort of have always said that I just sort of want to get through these years I understand that they're important but I feel like for a lot of people especially people who struggle with fitting in which I have always related to it's hard because sometimes you don't find the advice that you're looking for but I've always said because I've had a lot of friends who have moved schools like what you have to do is just you just have to make sure that you're being totally authentic and try not to worry and try to remember that things that happen in school aren't going to matter in five years' time. The mistakes that you make are a part of who you are and a part of growing up and maturing as a person. 
and the whole social hierarchy that seems so important to you all through high school will totally dissipate when you get out into the real world. So it's really important to remember that and just be an authentic person and remember that most things just don't really matter at the end of the day. I think we took a different child home from the hospital than was ours. You're amazing. That That is just the most thoughtful comment. I feel like, I mean, that is such valuable wisdom for anyone, pretty pretty much actually in any situation, but in particular for people that are moving, adults and children. So thank you for that. Pippa and Steve, did you have any tips for parents that are going through the move with high school children that you would like to impart? We're really lucky with Charlie um, and I guess the way that we have tried to parent. Nobody's perfect. That would be the first thing I would say. You're going to make mistakes. People are going to get upset. You know, moving is a, a tumultuous time. But we're lucky. Charlie's a great communicator, but always has been, and we've tried to keep that open. I think from my point of view, I would say to to to, to continue that, to keep the lines of communication open, to listen to your young person. They know themselves better than anybody else. There will be times when they struggle really badly and you might feel guilty that you've taken them to a place and they don't want to be there and they hate you and they hate their life. I'm not saying that that's what you have said, Charlie, but those times will pass if if in the beginning everybody's up for it. Uh, We wanted to, as a team, do it. And if Charlie wasn't into it, we wouldn't. Because it's a big thing to do. It's a different way of life. You are asking your kid to live far away from the hustle and bustle and it's it, it can be a bit isolating. So, so listen and allow and see what they need, what will make them enjoy it here, what can you do together to see that it is a beautiful way of life and be patient. I think get nailed it with just, just listen, um, but really listen. You know, sometimes it's easy to sort of, you know, just say, oh, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, yeah. but to, to really listen and, and engage, which which I think we both try to do with Charlie, and Charlie's very easy to engage in that regard. But um, also, and now look, some people may say that we've given Charlie too, too long a leash. Um, I disagree. I think, you know, that's everyone, parents in a different way. Some kids probably need a shorter leash. Don't necessarily treat your children like children because I think they often have a lot, there's, there's a lot more going on that you will likely discover if you listen and let them be themselves. That makes sense. Absolutely it does. I think there's that inkling to always patronise like kids from toddlers through to high school, um, but it actually really tends to be the reverse, doesn't it, where you learn more from them than you could ever have imagined like we have yep. today. Charlie, you've just offered so much invaluable insight that I know will be super helpful to everyone listening. And we would like to end, as we always do, with a one-sentence pitch. So you can do this, we'll go from each of you, and it's just a quick, punchy pitch to say to anyone listening that isn't already compelled from that brilliant um, interview to move to the regions, why should someone move to regional Australia? Fortune favours the brave, I think, you know what I mean? It's, it seems like such a massive thing on paper, but once you get the ball rolling and you get in it and amongst it and you arrive at your destination, it is 100% worth it. Get out of the city, get into the sticks, be one with nature and your family. It is unreal. I can't say anything after that. (laughs) Maybe you could sing it. Feel free to do it in a different... (laughs) 
get on country, feel what it's about, why our, like, First Nations people, that they know the country, they are of the country, and I think being in the country you, you really start to understand what it means to respect the earth and take your spirituality from it. And, Charlie, what about you? I reckon if you're thinking about it, then you should absolutely go for it. And especially if you're a younger person and someone like me and you know that this is something that you've always thought about, it's definitely going to be right for you. And at the the end of the day, you're definitely going to love it. New Moved Wear is made on the land of the Binjara people. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to Elders past and present. This episode was produced by Grace Rouvray with audio production by Adair Shepherd and hosted by me, Beck Bignall. The You Move Wear podcast is brought to you by Move to More and the Regional Australia Institute. Make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts because on the next week's episode, you'll hear stories like this. There are a million stories to be told in um, in a regional area, which is why so many Australian books are set in the regions. Don't worry, anyone, my new book is not. <laughs> Nora, <laughs> it is not. I think that we don't want to get run out of town or anything. Move to More is supported by the Australian Federal Government. And if you head to the website, movetomore.com.au, you can find a wealth of information that will help you make the move. At movetomore.com.au, you can search almost 2,000 regional towns and cities to find your favourite regional destination and in the same place, find your dream home and job. 